Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast. On this year's Year in Review, we've got Elena Hengel from Marketing Architects and Connor Byrne from That's What I Call Marketing. Talking about a lot of great topics, including the best ad campaigns from our countries, bullish or bearish topics like B2B creativity, hyper-personalization, and then our power rankings of the world's most influential business marketers and strategists. Welcome to the Sleeping Barber Podcast, a place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasilis Duros, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the final year in review show. We're super excited. We've got a great group of fellow podcasters here from around the world. Today, talking about a whole bunch of great topics like favorite campaigns of the year. We're going to get into some of our thought leaders, talk about what we're bullish and bearish about for the next year. Elena, why don't we start with you? Just introduce yourself, if you don't mind, and then we'll go to Connor, and then V can introduce the two of us. Sure. Hi, I'm Elena. I am the VP of Marketing at a TV agency called Marketing Architects that's based in the United States, and I'm also the host of a podcast called The Marketing Architects excited to be here. Hi, I'm I'm Connor Byrne. I host, that's what I call marketing uh, and also offer marketing fractional leadership services. Amazing. Well, I'm V and I'm joined here by Mark, who we actually represent the Sleeping Barber podcast. I'm really excited to get into this with fellow podcasters. Our mics are on point, by the way. Audio levels are just humming. I'm super excited <laughs> to be here. Let's get after it. Awesome. Okay, so let's get into the first part of this. We're talking about favorite campaigns of the year. Um, we'll just kind of go around the circle and just talk about some of the things we liked about different campaigns. Um, again, why don't we start with you, Elena? Sure, sure. So I picked two from the United States to talk about. My first is probably not a huge surprise. It's Apple, you know, the pride and joy <laughs> of <laughs> the U.S. Um, they had a campaign this year around the new iPhone. Apple iPhone 15 Pro. And one spot in particular really stood out to me. I'm sure you've seen it. This spot was called Titanium. Mm -hmm. And Apple, they're really just the ultimate product marketing experts. Mm -hmm. I think they're a great example of the power of distinctive assets. When you see a spot, you just know instantly that it's mm -hmm. an Apple spot. And this spot in particular, I did some digging around on it. And if you haven't seen it, if you heard the spot, you'd instantly recognize it. It has mm -hmm. this crazy background music. It's so intense. I can't even describe the sound, but I always thought it was some sort of instrument. It turns out they partnered with Yacht Ka, the Tuvan throat singing fusion band. Um, wow. And it's led. So this band, it's actually someone's voice. It sounds like an instrument. Crazy. It's somebody's voice. And this guy who you know, leads the band doesn't even own an iPhone. So that's how unique <laughs> this campaign is. But every time that came on my screen, I just thought like, man, Apple... There's a reason why they continue to win marketing yeah. awards year after year after mm -hmm. year. And you see a spot, you just know it's a Apple commercial. Yeah. Yeah, they are super unique. I, they stand out so much. And great the way they like the product is just central. Because I, I read somebody recently commented, I think, on Twitter about, you know, Apple aren't a brand marketing company, but they do it all well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the distinctive assets, they've got totally. great product and it just like they, they showcase it brilliantly. Right. And then my second campaign that I chose, I thought I'd pick something from B2B because I'm a B2B marketer myself. I chose Salesforce. They have been doing some recent campaigns with Matthew McConaughey mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they did a spot playing into the recent AI news. And I thought that was just really cool how quickly they turned it around. The fact that they're using a celebrity being a B2B mm -hmm. brand is mm -hmm. really, really interesting. They're definitely a leader for creativity in B2B the last few years. So the spot I really liked was a part of this AI campaign. It was called AI Sheriff. And mm -hmm. Salesforce, I know we're just picking one campaign, but they also just did some branding with that new sphere in Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. Like, I just think in recent years, it feels like they've been ramping up their brand spend. And I thought pat partnering with Matthew McConaughey was such a, such a brave choice and also mm -hmm. a great one. They're really standing out in B2B. The apple of B2B. Yeah. Salesforce. Yeah. We called it here first. They also do, they do have all their distinctive assets as well. Like they've got yeah. characters and they're they're also pretty consistent with their branding messaging and, and including Matthew McConaughey as a sponsor or a sponsored 
mm-hmm. uh, spokesperson. I think that yeah, I, makes sense. I think he, he has an official role with them as well. Yeah. Like I think he has some sort of like official role. Chief creative director or something, something. like that. Yeah. yeah. I want an yeah. honorary title like that. I don't think it's honorary. He's like ten million a year. Is he in there? Yeah, <laughs> there was. That. That's what I yeah. want. <laughs> okay, never mind. Sorry, Matthew. Yeah. if you're listening well, to this, Matthew McConaughey. Not to talk about Matthew McConaughey too much, but he's an expert in branding too because he that's originally true. in his career he was the rom com com guy, right? Mm, and yeah, that's all he was known for. He had to turn down like hundreds of millions of dollars in movies because he didn't want to be known as the rom com guy the anymore. Yeah. and then he turned into this action movie more drama type of figure yeah, and now he's point. kind of following ryan reynolds and getting into advertising and brands yeah working for salesforce and mm-hmm. so he's a, a point. expert in branding himself those are good those are great examples yeah. connor you got something yeah so i picked a couple from this side of the world i don't know if you guys are familiar with paddy power which is a, a an online, online betting gaming gambling. yeah yep. and they're incredible they've they're so consistent with their cheeky tone of voice. And so they did a campaign this year, poking fun at all the football clubs that have had some um, investment from different parts of the world. And the (laughs) campaign was called football. You, you gotta love it. And it's shakes it up with new campaign poking fun at sports washing. So it was this like unknown club in the UK that was made up and people giving out about, you know, all these clubs are getting money. And next thing this guy walks in and goes, we've been bought by an oil baron. <laughs> and then it just <laughs> goes into a, a musical and, and really pokes fun at it and fantastic. And they use like ambassadors, like the footballer, Peter Crouch, he's consistently in their work. Yeah. And so it's just really good. And, and Paddy Power are fantastic. Cause you look at the work and say only Paddy Power could do that. And that's, mm-hmm. I think when you get to that point, like mm-hmm. they own, they own that space and irreverence and and humor and they do it brilliantly every single mm-hmm. time. And even as they move across different agencies, which I think they've done recently, that, that goes with them. So they don't lose mm-hmm. like the core of the brand is, is just phenomenal. So I love that one. And then oh, I too, I chose, I really struggled. There was a really interesting one from Yorkshire Tea where it's an amazing mm. brand and they did a, a song. Maybe I've just got musicals and, and music <laughs> in my head, but <laughs> called Pack Your Bags. And it was like a summer oh. anthem for, you know, people going on holidays and just don't forget Yorkshire Tea. And it's just so much fun. Uh, I'm going to go third one. I'm going to put Communion Saves, which was done by Uncommon Studios, is just a phenomenal disruptive piece of creative. So there's my two plus one. It's already breaking norms over here. Right. Well done, Connor. <laughs> Yorkshire tea though. I've seen a couple of theirs. They're really good. Like yeah. at least the ones I've seen in the past. Um, yeah. So fun, like so good. And they, they really lean into kind of the North of England where things are done proper and mm. that's mm. their whole thing. So it's really good. Yeah. Great work. The, the Paddy power one's really interesting and uh, everyone may not know this, but I lived and worked in Europe for about 10 years and I worked for bwin.com. So Connor, you're probably very familiar with them. So we were always looking at Patty Power as being like, how can we lean into that kind of the humor, even though the brand itself, bwin really couldn't because they were more, I don't know, stiff, I think I could could say. Uh, But it was always something great to to kind of watch. So that's a great example. V, why don't you go up next? All right. So I chose two Canadian campaign. So really trying to focus here on on uh, the true North strong and free. Uh, the first one that comes to mind was WestJet. Um, many of you will probably would have seen their first real viral campaign, a Christmas miracle that happened back in 2013, where essentially they interviewed a whole bunch of guests. Um, I think it was in Toronto, uh, what kind of gifts you want in for Christmas. And then by the time they landed in Calgary, they actually had those waiting on the on the turn thingy. What what is that called? Turnstiles or the, the turnstiles? Oh, the, exactly. carousel. the carousel. The carousel. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. The turnstile. And I even I work in aviation. Damn it. Anyways, <laughs> right. um, what are those things called where you get your bags? Your bags. Planes. No. <laughs> so ever since then, WestJet's been known for really emotive um, Christmas miracle, Christmas kind of um, uh, campaigns. And this year, uh, it actually just launched uh, a couple days ago. Uh, they're calling it Holiday Heroes. And it's really kind of paying an homage to those that are working around the clock during the holidays. So they, they highlight a TransLink driver, a Fairmont valet, even a, a ramp agent as well, and just kind of reuniting them with their families, so bringing their families to them. 
obviously it's tugging all the heartstrings, but I think as you were talking about Patty Power earlier, Connor, I think Westit's kind of earned the right that this is kind of what you've come to expect from them around this time of year. And people genuinely do expect these campaigns. And um, I thought that was a, a really well done. And my second one was from Canadian Tire. So this year they're celebrating yeah, they're celebrating Christmas firsts, and essentially, it's just a tip and nod to uh, you know the, the nostalgic element of Christmas, remembering like your first Christmas. But they do such a great job because everything that they're showcasing obviously is available in their store. And for those who mm-hmm. don't know, Canadian Tire is just a big a, retailer that covers it's a everything. Weird store. Yeah. It is a weird you store. Can, you get lost. You can get in tires there. and hockey equipment and like <laughs> kitchen gadgets. Exactly, it's all over the map. But it's great. Like everybody in Canada loves it. It actually it was it was recognized. Sorry, Canadian Tire recognized the second currency in Canada with the Canadian Tire money. Um, it was just so popular, and people collecting these dollars. Of course, now it's morphed into more of a loyalty program, but its uh, second official currency of Canada was the Canadian di- Canadian Tire dollar. So, right. those are the two that I was able to find. Mark, nice. I had um, so the the first one I'll talk to about was actually Spotify. So it's not Canadian, but it's personal to me because I got it last night and it's the Spotify <laughs> rap campaign, ah. which I thought was kind of interesting because they've done this for the last few years that I can think of. Um, yep. And so what I like about it is it's a product generated marketing campaign mm-hmm. using true. my own data to feed back to me some kind of like interesting insight. And then I know later we're going to talk about influencer marketing, but then it kind of leverages that ability for people to share their and be the distribution channel for their media totally, or for their content. So I thought that was kind of a fun way to do it. And it connects to the out of home billboard campaigns that they've had. There's one that said something like, sorry to the, uh, to the person who played sorry 42 times on Valentine's day. It was like this thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like they have this data and they're using it consistently and along with the distinctive assets they've created year over year and and so i just really like i thought that was a really interesting one that was personal to me and then the other campaign that i thought was really interesting i think everybody in the world probably has had some kind of impact with inflation and so there's a canadian pizza chain called pizza pizza well essentially they leverage the news cycle so anything to do with inflation and price concerns and all that kind of stuff and they and the idea of fixed rate mortgages being a real thing and fixed rate utilities and so they created this campaign based around fixed rate pizza and so there's a whole thing around a pre-approval questionnaire you don't even need a medical exam and all that kind of thing and so (laughs) between a tv campaign pr leverage website i think they did some out of home it earned a ton of pr and earned media they got 500,000 fixed rates pizza pizza sold in the first uh couple months and then a pretty big roi Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was kind of interesting just the capturing sort of an, the wave of the news cycle and using that to their advantage and, and linking it to talking about category entry points, I'm sure at some point later on, but the idea of like controlling costs and like, but you still want to go get food Pizza. and order in and still treat yeah. people. And so there, I just thought that was a really cool idea. And something probably a lot of brands would try stay away from. You know, inflation, let's not go, you know, let's not even right. address it. It's a really clever way of, of going about it. I love that. Yeah, yeah, totally. So these are some really good campaigns. I think we'll have to probably put some links in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, but before oh, you go, listen. Mark, you haven't mentioned yeah. your top rated artists on Spotify. Oh, that's oh. right. Okay, so full disclosure, my kids also <laughs> have know. access. Oh, yeah, everybody sure. says don't that. Don't blame the kids. <laughs> <laughs> So Taylor Swift is in there. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Taylor Swift. I, I have a Taylor Swift ban on in the car because I, I can't listen to her. Anymore. She's great, but I just I can't listen to her all the time anymore. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah. All of my top five songs are Taylor Swift, so we don't need to get into that, but oh. I, have, I have a problem. You know, you Spotify wrapped. I can't think of a marketing campaign that has better shareability than that. I mean, just immediately when you get your Spotify wrapped, you start sending it to people and it just, it's become, even Apple copies them now every year they have their, they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Well, it just, every company has got data on customers and I think it's a really smart way of leveraging that data and using it for, you know, good, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's not creepy. Yeah. And it's a fine line between creepy and cool. Like there's... (laughs) 
you could tip over pretty easily. And so they've managed to walk that line, I think. Yeah. And I think like when, when you think about, well, here's a nod to all the runners and the cyclists out there. Strava uh, is also yeah. a great platform yeah. that does that as well. That kind of really mm-hmm. showcases, you know, the kilometers you've covered, who's liked your stuff, who you've engaged with yeah. the most. And I think it's, again, it's a, it's a personal way of kind of showing a commitment to a platform, but at the same time, the shareability is just intoxicating. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on to section two, uh, we've got section bullish two. or bearish. <laughs> we were talking about some of the topics that we think are going to be, um, or that are that were either much hyped in this year or what we think is going to be big for next year. So that's the idea behind bullish or bearish. I'm going to kick off with mine. So I represent for this episode media mixed modeling. And I'm personally very bullish on this. And I think I love the resurgence around the notion of a lot of organizations really leaning into MMMs. And for those likely would remember this, like MMM was really used in the past more as a, uh, another tool to kind of help, help inform strategic thinking, um, media spend, et cetera. But I think now it's actually come more to the forefront because of the issues that we're having with, you know, the deprecation of the cookie. It's becoming a lot more difficult on how to leverage a lot of the old behavioral tactics from a targeting perspective. So now all of a sudden you have marketers looking at each other and be like, hey, so what are we spending where? How are we going to do this? And I'm very bullish on this because I think it does a couple of things. First of all, it really leans into the idea of like positive impact on ROI and that holistic measurement or across all your media tactics. Mm-hmm. And then second, it really leans into the data-driven uh, decision-making that we need to make sure that we're continuously enforcing internally. I think we've all been in those conversations where we don't have the data and the moment we saw a CFO is just going to pick at it and suggest, hey, what? why do you need X amount of dollars for this campaign? And MMM is a great tool that kind of helps reinforce the idea of omnichannel and making sure that everything has a role and driving at the end of the day, whatever KPI it is for your organization, revenue, orders, whatever. But yeah, so I'm very bullish on this and as we continue to lean into, especially in 2024 that it's going to be uh, front and center for a lot of marketers. Mm-hmm. Rebuttal, I go. I yeah, you guys got any other <laughs> contradictory thoughts or do you support um, that idea? I'm, I don't know if it's contradictory. I'm also bullish, mainly because MMM has gone from what used to be a six-figure investment to really just man hours because That's there true. are all these new models now that people can use, like models like Robin. We've been using that with our clients. So it used to be so expensive to put together Mm -hmm. and um, media mix model. You just wouldn't even, (laughs) some brands just couldn't even afford it. But Mm -hmm. so I'm bullish because I think more and more brands are going to be able to use it. But I would say the caveat is that there, it shouldn't be a single source of truth. We've seen Mm -hmm. that it's pretty easy to manipulate the models to get the answer you want. You just can keep running and running and running it. So using that with other models, I think is the way to go, but overall bullish because of the new access to it. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I think the access thing is really important, uh, you know, that and how like AI is going to make, you know, strides in, in this area as well. I think it's really interesting. I think the conversations with CFOs makes very important. I think, and then the only watch out is that you, I think you're saying, Elena, like you don't make the wrong calls, you know, with the data, because that, oh, look, I've seen that happen where you can make a call based on a, a like an ROI metric and yeah. not particularly in shorter term. So it's just, you know. There's there's the, the art and the science, so it's you know making sure you balance balance the two well, I guess. I think that's partly how we got here because we were following the data of last click attribution to you mm. know what leads us to this point where we're like, oh wait a second, wait a second, maybe it's not as good as we thought. Let's back yeah. up, and then you know ten years later, we're now <laughs> kind of rediscover MMM. Uh, just on the context of the AI component, Elena, why don't you go and just comment on that for bullish or bearish? Or start sure. us off on that. Yeah. Sure. So in case you haven't heard, um, AI is <laughs> what? a pretty big what is this? <laughs> pretty big topic in marketing. Um, it's been just over a year since OpenAI released ChatGPT, and there's been plenty of change since then. Mm-hmm. Personally, on this, I am bullish as someone who works at an agency and on a marketing team. We're already using AI every single day. We're using it to help us strategize. We're using it to start creating assets, trying to figure out how can it save us time so we can work on 
our high, higher level work. Obviously not replacing people. We're looking at it as a way to help people work more efficiently and automate the mundane parts of your job. But I think that in another year from now, AI is going to look completely different again. And if you're not mm-hmm. looking into it as a marketer, if you don't mm-hmm. have a finger on the pulse, I would be concerned going into 2024. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Connor, you got any thoughts about that? To add? I com- completely agree. Somebody said it to me and I can't remember who it was, but in one of the episodes I, I, I did, they said, you know, it's AI isn't going to replace your job, but it will replace your job if you don't start to understand AI. Exactly. Like you have mm-hmm. to start getting your head around it. You have to start. And just using it, just getting into the tools. And it's everywhere. Like I use Canva and it's in Miro, like it's in so many places. It, it's everywhere. It's enabling you to free up space to think and do the things that humans are great at doing. So it's not a, about kind of dehumanizing things. Uh, and the only watch out is, you know, making sure that I, I think, you know, the concern around like is the coding and, and all, you know, everything going into it, giving us enough mm-hmm. diversity and diverse the perspectives. Biases. That's the, yeah, exactly. So that's the, yeah. that's the only watch out, but I think, um, yeah, it's, it's not going away and it's, it's great, great to see it and get people using it. Yeah. It's really hard not to be bullish on AI, if I'm honest. And I think Connor, like you said, you know, just kind of making sure that, you know, there's full transparency, there's no biases, um, any sort of ethical implications and the data sets and, and essentially like the, what it's informing. Um, I think the biggest for me, one area that I think we've as marketers have always struggled is really kind of building insights from data sets. And I, mm-hmm. I think what I'm curious to see is how that space is going to evolve as we like lean into more of that AI intelligence that may help bring some of those insights to life for marketers that obviously can be um, from our perspective, then refined, but mm-hmm. I think kind of crossing that gap from data to insights, I think there's always been, you know, uh, a little, a little, um, grace, a gray area there that I think we haven't mm-hmm. been great at doing. Yeah. And it, from my point of view, there's, there's, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's something like, what do you do? I think it was about the internet. What, what do you do when it's like everywhere, when it's as ubiquitous as water or mm-hmm. air? And so AI is like that to me where like, even this morning I was using it, um, looking at business models. And there's a really cool website called Go Zigzag that you just literally type in a sentence and it spits out a whole lean model canvas around like crazy. A business idea and then assumptions and things to test and all that kind of stuff. So like for me, that that is a part of creativity. Like how do you generate different ideas from different perspectives? I think there's mm-hmm. so much opportunity from, you know, from AI in general, but just the way you can use it uh, to your point, well, everyone's point, you first have to use it to understand what it could do to help you. And I think that's kind of where we're at with that one. Next one, Connor, I think we had you pegged for B2B creativity. Yeah. So I, I'm bullish on 24 being the year of B2B creativity. And Lenny, you talked about the likes of Salesforce, but I think we're going to move away from mind numbingly boring B2B marketing. Mm. It's going to end. It's going to go away. We're going to like stop obsessing about useless MQLs that go nowhere. We're going to actually talk about creating demand in the right way. And, you know, James Herman talks about it brilliantly, the concept of capturing current demand and creating future demand. And I think that reframing of, of B2B marketing and creativity, um, has to happen. And I think next year is the year for it. Um, so I'm, I'm really, a bit obsessed about it and a bit bullish about it because I'm bored and sick of bad B2B marketing because it gives <laughs> B2B marketing a bad rap and there's absolutely no need for it. it. B2B marketing has been seen as like the poor cousin of, you know, brand and create. And it's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. B2B marketing can be brilliant because we're marketing to guess what? human beings, people, people that also can, yeah, the same people that consume, you know, the consumer goods that you want to market. So it's the same, make it brilliant, make it engaging, think about emotion, think about fame and do great work. So bullish. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to call it out next year when I see really crap work. Mm. I'm less bullish about that point, actually. There's so much like the obsession with feature benefit. And I think part of that is because you have people that make the product or engineers or designers or whatever of the product 
or service that are super focused on the the widget and like the <laughs> the gears that turn the widget and not like what the widget does and who it's mm -hmm. for and all that kind of stuff. So it's I think a really fundamental shift and I think a really big eye opening opportunity for a lot of brands um, to really kind of make a dent because you're right there's the people at the other end and. Vivi and I were talking about this a little bit a while ago. Somebody asked, like, where do I find leads? I'm like, uh, take your pick. Like, I mean, <laughs> YouTube reaches 92% of the audience of the planet, pretty much. No, You wouldn't probably normally start with the idea of YouTube, but they're there. They're mm -hmm. just, you target them differently. Mm -hmm. I would second everything and just add to that from the perspective of a TV agency, our most successful clients, few of them are B2B. And TV is something that, B2B brands tend to shy away from because it's mass mm -hmm. reach. You can't mm -hmm. target as easily, even though you see TVs changing that, but it's still difficult. But we've yeah. seen B2B brands just have massive su success with TV because one, you know, creativity, brand fame, um, your audience are just people, but also there's not as much of a bloody ocean on channels like TV with B2B brands because less sure. marketers mm -hmm. are invested in them. So it's That's also great. just an opportunity to stand yeah. out with something like television. Yeah, the the only thing from uh, from my perspective that I think is important, Connor, you uh, from Connor, sorry, you you I think you nailed this, but it's like you're still talking to humans, and I think you know we've created this divide, like B to C, B to B, they're different. We've got a, different strategies, and while I understand there's nuances, you're still speaking to people, and the behaviors of people are some they're going to be similar across the board. So I think when you remove that lens of just B2B and you say, I'm talking to another person or a human, as you put it, I think it just changes. And immediately you could become a lot more versatile than I think the, the, the sector has been knowing that, Hey, we just have to focus on trade shows. We have to make sure that our positioning is very, I use the term stiff earlier for a lot yeah. more, I don't know, maybe professional is not the right word either, but I think like have fun with it. And I think yeah. Salesforce is one of those ones that's like taking the traditional marketing book and just seeing how it applies to B2B versus trying to rewrite the marketing book for B2B. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Okay. Brand purpose. I'll take this one on. I'm bearish. I, <laughs> Our first I hope, bearish. Yes. I hope brand purpose dies. I honestly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, and it's not to say I don't believe in like bigger, more important things, but the idea of brand purpose as like, and you know, we're going to save the whales. We're going to save the fill in the blank. I don't, I, I, I hate it because what happens is as soon as your profits drop, you cut people, you mm -hmm. cut investments, you cut everything. And so then what does that say about your brand purpose? I think a company like Patagonia is amazing for a whole bunch of reasons, but mm -hmm. one, because they have brand purpose baked in to their like fabric, literally, yeah. and their way of operating and their philosophy from the ground up from like day one. And they're constantly trying to improve that. So brand purpose as a way of running a business can be great and it's valuable in that circumstance. But everyone that is just greenwashing, that's mm -hmm. the brand purpose I think should die and I hope never comes back. So that's my take. Who's going to follow that? <laughs> well, I, like, I think there was a, maybe it goes back maybe even longer than a year ago, there was a, an investor in maybe Unilever that owns Hellman's Mayonnaise. And he said something like, oh, yeah. you know, if mayonnaise needs a purpose more than being on a sandwich, I don't want to know. Like, it's just <laughs> pointless. And so I think to your point, Mark, it's like you can have a, you can have a purpose as a brand. It doesn't mean you have a, the brand purpose. And I actually think the framing of the language is probably what needs to change. Cause you can like, I if know. you're a brand, let's say that's, you know, wants to connect people and collaborate or, you know, something like that, you can find a space that that has a meaningful difference. So I think brands sure. can actually play a positive role in the sure. world and do things for good, but it's, it, it's the connection of that. And you're exactly right. Like I've seen that, you know, where brands that have a, very meaningful purpose around a thing. And then, you know, trouble hits and they're like laying people off and they, they're laying people off in ESG, which is where, you know, they're going to bring the brand purpose to life. You're like, well, okay, does that, you know, how does it, how does it stack up? So I think it has to be mm -hmm. really ingrained and embedded into, into the brand and, and be really meaningful and, and stand the test of time. So it's not going to get hit 
when yeah. things get tough because it's really core to your your belief. Um, so I think brands have to tread carefully with it. Um, but there are there are I think interesting ways for brands to play in a in a, in the space of actually making a difference, and that's yeah maybe the minutia. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things to me where it's like put your money where your mouth is, and if you do, awesome. Yeah, like mm-hmm. good for you. Like that's great. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if it's just about saying, oh, we're green or, you know, we're sustainable or, you know, and then putting lipstick on a pig, I, I just yeah. can't get behind that. <laughs> there's there's some good examples, though, and I don't know if anyone agrees here, but for, for me, like I look at Adidas and their parlay for the oceans kind of incentive. I know that's, you know, seeped into their, their product lines as well with, you know, select uh, sneakers that are built off of 100% recycled a material. So when I see it in that context, I think I'm all for it. But I think like Connor, you were saying, like making sure it's 100% authentic to what you do, or even Mark, your Patagonia example is like, if it's woven into every element of your business, then 100% lean into that because it does become a, a differentiator or something that mm-hmm. is different for, for you. But um, I'm with you. You got to be very careful on how you approach that because it can be very quickly it can be perceived as something that's just not that's maybe disingenuous just something this to tick a box in a moment of time i'm, I'm not going to argue with bearish i think that it's gone way too far and i read something the other day about how 2023 was the first year that less consumers said that they want to buy from a brand that aligns with their values consumers are getting sick of it too and <laughs> yeah. um mark pritchard from png he recently talked about how they're going to take away these brand purpose That's initiatives right. from a lot of their brands because mm-hmm. they're just not seeing the return. So I agree with everything. It has to be aligned with who you are and be genuine because mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to tell when someone's using it or of just a way to get attention or when it's not true yeah. to the brand. Yeah. What else do we have here? Uh, v. I think hyper personalization. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Hyper personalization. This is another one I am 100% bearish on. I am oh. over it personally. Yeah. Oh. And I'm, here's the thing. I'm, V's a performance marketer. I'm a performance marketer, by the way, <laughs> by trade. But I think we've, um, we've kind Not of, to label you. I you just labeled me, man. <laughs> I did label you. He, him, um, and um, what's it called? Performance marketer. That's how I identify. Yeah. Anyways, um, I, I struggle with this right now more than ever in, in my career because I think we've gotten away from the idea of like, we need to make sure that we're targeting those that have either, the largest targeted audience and trying to find that one person that is really looking for your product in that moment, make sure we're serving them the right content because we have these signals and I'm using air quotes here, people, (laughs) Um, these signals that can potentially, you know, assist in that conversion. I think I'm, I'm over that kind of mentality and trying to find that lowest common denominator of a signal to say, here's what it is. And I would rather us as marketers, even performance marketers, start thinking a little bit more in those broader reach target targets that can still be hinged or built off of intent. Like, don't don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying like let's get away from intent completely. I'm saying mm-hmm. let's make sure we're targeting the largest possible audience that's shown a level of intent either in our category, our product, or service, and try to avoid that true one to one. Because everyone talks about like, hey, the goal for 2023, 2024, 2025 is one-to-one marketing. It's like, I don't think that is the case anymore. I think it's just making sure you're present when the consumer is actually in market for your product and service. And hoping that you've done enough work up front to build that mental availability. Mm. That's it. Like, let's Mm -hmm. not make this more confusing than it already is. So I'm bearish on the whole hyper-personalization. There's elements where I think it can work. Things like uh, maybe marketing or I think for me it's like customer service agents when they can have analysis on, you know, purchase behaviors or things that they've done and you're actually talking to the consumer, I think that's mm-hmm. where it becomes incredibly important to create that one-to-one. It's not through your ads. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's where it lives. Mm-hmm. This is my, I'll step off the soapbox now. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever experienced proper one-to-one personalized marketing. You know, that's just door-to-door sales. I would agree that I'm also bearish on it. And not only what we found as a TV agency is yes, there's issues with accuracy. That's just the foundation. Like the data might not even be accurate. Who are you targeting? Let alone mm-hmm. does it work? We've mm-hmm. seen data on the more personalized your message, it doesn't necessarily lead to ROI. But for us, the biggest thing has been price. We've been buying more and more streaming and get a lot of marketers who are very excited to hyper personalize, hyper target with streaming mm-hmm. because now you can get one to one with someone where you never could with linear television and 
as a performance agency, it really comes down to price. Even if you Mm -hmm. said, pretend we're accurate, pretend it's actually worth it. It's so much more expensive to add on those layers of targeting. It just, it becomes better to just have a broader reach, a broader message and the ROI is going to be better. But I think it can be uncomfortable for marketers, especially B2B marketers, because the idea of waste, Mm -hmm. marketers don't always like it, even though it's it's going to benefit your brand in the long run. So Mm -hmm. we live this every day getting into into streaming (laughs) and I'm also bearish. Yeah, someone someone asked me the other day because he he was saying it sounds like a paradox. Exactly that thing about it costs less to reach more people and more to reach fewer people. And I, he was trying to he asked me if I could have if I had an analogy or something to like explain it to a ten year old. And so I've been thinking about this for a few days now. And so as you just brought that up, it, it occurred to me that this is a, a good example. I think, but it's almost like. Let's say you had a haystack and you're trying to find a needle in it and you paid somebody to find that needle. Like you would have to pay them a lot of money to sort through a lot of pieces of hay in order to find the needle. And so, or you could just reach all of the people within the haystack or all the pieces of straw and hay within the haystack. And so it's really easy to identify the haystack. It's much harder to go, okay, actually, here's the needle. And you know what, as it turns out, once we got to the needle, oops, it wasn't the right person. (laughs) Like then you got to start all over again. Yeah. And so there's just this idea, I think about mass hyper personalization or mass customization that it's a really interesting idea, but practically speaking, it's not feasible, nor is it necessary because I think from a marketing perspective, Connor, I agree. Like you have these door-to-door salesmen. I was one of those guys for a while in pharma, like carrying a bag, showing up at doctor's offices, having in personal interactions with people. And you can have those customized on the fly interactions, but to try and assume you can do that digitally when you have like some kind of digital footprint that is questionable accuracy. I don't think you need to worry about that way. I think is better is mass personalization in terms of like, what is the same thing that is the, common problem amongst all people like that is actually hyper personalization if you can understand the needs of a market that well that succinctly like that is really personalized well i would the other thing i think when i don't want to just sit on this one for much longer but i'm kind of passionate about it the 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 other side is like no one ever talks about the content demands to actually do Mm -hmm. this hyper personalization and i think there's not Everywhere that I've worked, you can, you do not have a large enough creative team to do that. Maybe with the the new era of like dynamic ad units that you can maybe get closer to that, but it's just not possible right now and to do it in a meaningful way. And that's where, again, I, I just go back to marketing. You, you articulated very well. Just find the common problem to the largest possible audience and call that your personalized um, in terms of the content needs, I'm going to shift gears and transition to influencer marketing. I, I want to take a side, but I kind of am neutral about this one. Mm. Neutral is not an option. <laughs> okay, then I'll be bearish. <laughs> You're painting me into a corner. It's not that I don't think it's valuable. It, it's just that the way I see influencer marketing is that you're buying access to somebody else's audience and you're relying on them to produce the content. And so you're inserting your brand. So it's in a lot of ways like sponsorship. Um, and so for that, it's great because it maybe gives you a new voice, gives you a new um, way to access a new group of people and all those kinds of things. Like the NFL with Taylor Swift on a grand scale. There, there's back to your Swifty uh, stories, Elena. To me, the one thing that's challenging about influence marketing is the idea to to be able to control the distinctive brand assets. It's kind of like Ryan Reynolds. I love his content and I love his commercials Mm. and he's funny, but if you're the brand, like I've seen him do stuff for, uh, craft dinner and I've seen him do stuff for mint mobile aviation gin. But then there was one last night for, uh, the Toronto sick kids hospital, which was awesome. But but it's Ryan Reynolds. I remember it because of Ryan Reynolds. I don't remember it because of the brand necessarily. That's why I'm a little bit bearish on influence marketing. Elena, how about you? I kind of cheated on this one a bit. Oh. I'm <laughs> I'm bearish for B2C. I 
agree that I think it's reached a point where it's being overused and sometimes there's not a clear connection. And even some of the legal changes around influencer marketing for B2C are becoming annoying mm. where you see something that's hashtag ad. They have to disclose so much that right. it just takes you out of the experience a bit. I am mm. more bullish for B2B because I think it's mm. so early. It's kind of the best time to be testing influencers for B2B. But there's a bunch of caveats about is it the right person, the right audience. Right. Um, so if I was ranking my marketing priorities, it wouldn't be super high, but more bullish for B2B versus mm -hmm. B2C. Yeah, fair. I can see, Mark, why you were kind of leaning to neutral, if, mm -hmm. <laughs> if I'm thinking about it. But like when you think about bears, like the risks of uh, things like inauthenticity and obviously the overdependence, I think, on influencers. Elena, I like what you did there in terms of like talking about in the two different uh, areas, so B2C versus B2B. Um, I'd love to see an influencer talk about like a dam on for content <laughs> for dam B2B. Or yeah, it's one of those things where. Um, go back to the consumer consumers can see right through it and you're Lena, you talked about like you know listing it hey this is an ad um, supposedly these audiences have followed a specific person or persona because of what they are and the authenticity that they provide the moment that they they take on a brand is it because they're being paid or is it because they truly believe in their brand of course everyone will preface it by saying i i always used x product before they reached out to me. Mm -hmm. But we also know as consumers, like that can also be somewhat inauthentic. So I think that's where it's, you have to be very careful on how you trend. Uh, I think overall, Mark, I think I would lean with you and Elena on the kind of more on the bearish side, I think, especially from a consumer perspective, but I still know that there's value there. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm not a hundred percent committed to. Connor, bring us home. I firmly sit in the middle as well. I am for like, it's, it's a really tough one. I think there's, Great examples of where, where, and I think, the, sorry, the problem I think is there's always the example of this person posted this thing, brand X sold out of all their products and everyone's like, oh my God, yeah. it's the most amazing thing ever. And then it's hard to replicate. Mm -hmm. I, and I think it's, and I've talked to a couple of brands who, who do operate in this space and where, where they find the biggest and best value is when they, they truly find people that, that they enjoy following you know, so, and, mm -hmm. and they then try collaborate with them. So it's that, it is authentic, authenticity. Um, yeah. and I know you're saying V it's like, oh, I've, I've always used this brand, but I, I think there are ways to do it. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's all about, I mean, reach is so important, but it's not necessarily about the reach of those influencers sometimes. Like sometimes a post, a person who's got like 10 million followers, yeah. And you spend however much to get them to to post something may not be as valuable as somebody who has a hundred thousand and actually you finding more of them. So again, I've seen examples. I, I, yeah, I'm not bringing yeah. it home. I'm sitting firmly in the middle. We saved, I would say maybe the most controversial part for last. Uh, controversial. I well, I don't know. Maybe. Sure. Who, who are the, we're going to do the best podcast. Let's <laughs> 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 leg wrestle for it. Uh, power rankings on thought leaders or key yeah. research, like things that really, and we haven't really clearly defined how we're doing this. This one, and what we rank as thought leaders and that kind of stuff. But I think this will be interesting. Um, this is spaghetti on a wall, is what you're saying. <laughs> Well, it's scientific-ish. Why don't we start with you, Elena? Why do I have this? <laughs> well, because I, I thought scientific, and then I realized, I remembered that you do mostly things around scientific papers, and so oh, I, I would assume don't set you me have up the like most that. rigor oh, in your process. <laughs> well, you'll be surprised to know there is no rigor. This is my personal opinion. Um, Fair enough. All right. I'll tee us off. So okay. my top five, number one is Mark Ritson. Yeah. And he catapulted to my number one after writing his article on North American effectiveness. Oh, yeah. Um, he, really in peace. That really spoke to me. I felt like things we've been talking about on our show and kind of lamenting at our agency. He just validated everything we've been feeling, that there is a gap and there are improvements. He's had a lot of other great stuff, but he's my number one. My number two is Byron Sharp. His... 
like LinkedIn influencer slash slight trolling game this year has been so strong. For that alone, I thought he deserved to be number. I live in fear of him commenting something negative on one of my posts. I would have yes. to just retire yeah. if he did that. Yeah. <laughs> but number three, the B2B Institute, some sort of cheating. They came up with the ABLE framework, which mm -hmm. is a creativity for B2B framework. And I wish it had gotten more attention. We had Ty on the podcast and I thought it was a really interesting framework and they just come up with great. Number four, Mary Kay from Kantar uh, because of seven modern marketing dilemmas, which was a massive report they put out. It covered a lot of different controversial marketing topics. I think that Kantar is a great thought leader in the effectiveness space. And then number five, John Evans. And mostly because of his podcast, I feel like he's had some great guests and also, he had this article that I loved. It talked about how the majority of good creative wears in instead right. of wearing out. I think System One has talked a lot about that. So there was no science to that. Yeah, those are good. Those are really good. I only did three. Damn it. Damn. <laughs> it said five. <laughs> I know. Clearly, I can't read very well. <laughs> Go ahead, V. So I'm going to put number one, Roger Martin, uh, with his work mm. around promise to the customer. I thought, yeah, especially for me, I was kind of even going to, into our conversation with, with Roger Mark, if you recall, I was like, I don't know if I can really like believing this yeah. uh, very much. But I think what I really ended up liking about the PTTC framework is really it comes down to three questions that you just simply ask yourself in the lens of like a product or a service. Like, do we make a promise to the customer? Can we deliver against that promise? And is it repeatable? And the moment you apply that lens, I think it gives marketers a really strong sense of if something can be successful or not. And I think for me, it translates into many of the other business functions so well that it just naturally is something that's come top of mind for me, um, especially mm -hmm. when I'm having conversations internally. So Roger Martin, number one. Number two, I would say John Dawes and his work on NPS. Um, mm. That conversation for me is probably the most important one in the context of making sure you're finding and leaning into those key metrics from a business perspective and really identify business health. And what I loved about his research, it failed on all three fronts. It doesn't predict future sales. It is not reflective of actual word of mouth, if it's good or bad. And it's not superior to any of the CSAT metrics that are currently out there. So I think when I think about it in that context, I think it provides, again, marketers with another lens of like, hey, we have to be better. And NPS is not the answer. Number three, Mark Ritson, for all the reasons Elena highlighted, I believe like it was a great awakening. And as Canadians, I'm not removing ourselves, even though it was targeted to like the US. I think as Canadians, we also need to be, be better. Now um, we're rounding error. We're, we are rounding error, but <laughs> not on this podcast. There's two of us. So like oh, yeah. We, we're gonna here. I'm Minnesotan, so I'm basically Canadian. So. That's right. <laughs> hey, you guys play hockey and everything down there. Oh, They're really play good, too. hockey? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, Mark Ritson, for all the reasons, Elena talked about Byron Sharp. I think I also loved the, what's it called? The, the confrontational side of, of him a little bit, which was like, ooh, this is feisty Byron Sharp. I like it. <laughs> and number five, that's where I'm scrambling right now, if I'm if I'm being honest. But um, if, I, if I had to say- We'll we'll come back to you. You can want. come back? Okay. Sure. Give me some not? time. I'll come back. It's okay to name one of us as well. <laughs> I was actually going to name. I was going to do that, but I'll, I'll save it for the end I'll, with V's fifth pick. Connor, how about yourself? Uh, so not in order, but this was the 10th anniversary of the publication of The Long yeah. and Short of It. So yeah. that Ooh. just, I mean, you know, it's seminal piece of work and... Peter and Ez are incredible. And it's just, I guess, still amazing me that some people haven't read it. So, yeah, read it. I think James Herman's, I mentioned him earlier on, his work on future demand and creating future demand and trying to change the narrative on how we think about, how we think about demand generation and, and really kind of trying to shift that with uh, VC and CEOs, not just working within marketing. LinkedIn, B2B Institute, John and Peter, they're amazing. They were over in Dublin a couple of months ago and I, I got to hang out with them for a bit. I got to hear them speak and then met them in a pub. So they're they're dead sound, great people doing brilliant work and they were presenting the CMO scorecard. Uh, I also had Mary from Cantor, Modern Marketing Dilemmas. I thought that was really great work. Um, and it kind 100%. of, what I love is it like it, it captured so many different things mm -hmm. and, you know, 
presented it really well and then allowed you to go on deep dives. Again, if you haven't read that, it's going to send you in a whole load of different directions, I think, in a good way. Uh, and then mm-hmm. the last one for me, I think MI3 in Australia is amazing. It's a brilliant site, publishes great content. It doesn't shy away from conversa- difficult conversations or topics. Like they brought Lee Barnes to my attention from Intrepid Travel, who was a bit like UV performance marketer, but he saw the light. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone on record uh, to say that as well. Yep. It's it so amazing publication. Again, encourage people to to check it out as it just giving a different perspective. Australia's doing brilliant work. I just brilliant oh, yeah, marketers man. in Australia. Um so I think that's that's my five. So no surprise, I've got some of the same ones that you guys do. Um so written I had is the first one that came to mind. Similar but slightly different reasons. Like he genuinely, I think, started two massive debates in the marketing industry this year, one on differentiation versus distinctiveness and the other one on uh, whether America is falling behind or not. Like single-handedly, I think he created two massive debates, which is really valuable in a lot of ways. There's a lot of, especially on the distinctiveness versus differentiation bit, there was a lot of you know feedback that I read that was talking about things like, you know, isn't this just an academic debate? And I, I, I think a lot about our perspectives and how they are like these invisible forces that shape our decision-making. And so if you believe in differentiation wholeheartedly, then that makes you go down a path. If you believe in distinctiveness wholeheartedly and not differentiation, Mm -hmm. that makes you go down a different path. So I think those kinds of debates are good just to make us rethink our own Mm -hmm. beliefs and, and things that we don't think about, like a funnel, as an example, is it real or is it not? Like that's a really interesting so for me, like the America's falling behind and differentiation distinctness are reasons why I put him at the top. My second one was a combination of a couple that you guys have talked about through the lens of the promise to the customer research. So that was a combination of Roger Martin, the B2B Institute with Mimi Rogers and Jan, Jan Schwartz, and then from Wark, David Tillman. Like, I think that paper is really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And to me, kind of gets to the heart of the effectiveness bit, like, all those, that debate was around like, I, I think people that were saying, no, 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 America is effective. We win a whole bunch of awards. They do, um, but they spend the most money. Uh, and so actually figured out they spend way more per con award than any, any other country in the top 10. So it's not to say that America doesn't do great work. I think it's to say that there's research and literature out there that can make great work better mm-hmm. and that was the idea behind the promise to the customer so it's kind of like just getting you know a little training and and you know improving your strength improving your speed and improving your power outputs and if you're in sports like to me that's what effectiveness is all about i also had john doss from the Ehrenberg bass institute because of the mps stuff like to me that, that was one of those like i i've hated mps for a long time i'm <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. And it to me, it was just like so rewarding to see 100%. research come out that was like clearly uh, saying that it's not really worth it. Avinash Kashuk, we had on our podcast in the, mm. earlier this year. And it just the idea around incrementality, yeah. uh, like I think is what we're all really trying to get to. So for me, that was a huge influential moment. And then the last one I had from the Ehrenberg Pass Institute was Jenny Romanik on better brand health. She published that book this year. I've just started getting through it about halfway through, but it's really good again, because it takes those things like top of mind awareness and goes, okay, well, what are you actually measuring when you do that? And there's a better way and here it is. And so it's a dense book. And so I'm trying to unpack it and make it accessible for my own brain. (laughs) Um, But I think it is really, really valuable because again it's one of those things we all talk about top of mind awareness but don't really actually think about what that means often mm-hmm. so those are my top five she she came on the podcast to do an interview of the book and it was brilliant because the book hadn't been released just yet it was coming out so i didn't yeah. have a chance to read it so i couldn't look really stupid yes yeah. <laughs> yeah we had the same problem same for us yeah <laughs> brilliant, isn't it? but yeah. she's so she's brilliant at being able to communicate you know, the key points of it. I thought she was excellent. But yeah, I was so I was actually glad I hadn't read the book. 
Now, I know everyone's waiting for my fifth pick. Yes. And I, I can even sense our listeners like, oh my God, what V's going to say. <laughs> so here it is. This one's a tip or nod to the marketing community, to all the oh. people out there oh. that are generating content, helping us be better, really thinking about oh. essentially, you know, how to better adopt or adapt a lot of the, the frameworks that we have in market. And I even look at, the, look at my screen today, the fact that everyone's here, you guys in, in your own way are doing such amazing work. So I would just like to honor the marketing community in, uh, in total and just being so open and sharing. That's how I'm going to yeah. end. I, I agree. Like, because, you know, I listen to Connor's podcast and listen to Elena's podcast and they're, they're great for different reasons and I want to yeah. go to them for different reasons. And so it's awesome to have different perspectives, even though some of the content and the guests might be the same, like you get different, different ideas things, yeah. because different people ask things different ways. Totally. Awesome. We'll have to probably figure out how we rank that later on. I think probably Ritson's somewhere near the top of everyone's list. We'll put it, uh, we'll put it to our, uh, our listeners. We'll maybe put yeah. a, a vote out. We'll create engagement. Oh, a survey. <laughs> a survey. Okay, so as far as 2024 goes, it's around the corner. Um, any thoughts, final takes that you want to share? The metaverse is going to be a thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I'm looking forward to most in 2024 is uh, I think we're going to see an acceleration on creativity. Um, I feel like we talked about Mark Ritson's post earlier. Um, I think that's probably going to rub it probably rubbed a lot of people not the right way so they're going to kind of, kind of come back so i think we're going to see a, just an unparalleled level of creativity coming into next year and which i'm really excited for but then obviously things on on all ai like uh, elena you talked about you know being you know bullish on it i'm i'm right there with you so i'm just curious to see how that's going to continue to evolve and help uh, both us as you know at the end of this consumers but more importantly as marketers how we can start leaning into more of that technology to help us solve a lot of those business problems that we have. So those would be the two that I'm I'm kind of like leaning towards. I'd build on that and say, I agree that next year, I think creativity and marketing effectiveness is going to continue to be a bigger priority. And mm -hmm. with that in mind, I would say, don't overlook traditional marketing channels. They are great mm -hmm. for marketing 100%. effectiveness, like out of home, print, TV, linear mm -hmm. television will grow next year, not shrink. That could blow mm -hmm. your mind a little bit. Love that. Well, actually, that's a really interesting point because you get these channels. I would go back to the media mix modeling. You get these channels that we're like pouring money into with the belief that they're going to drive performance, whatever that means. And then all of a sudden, you're like, maybe not. Let's go back to some of the other stuff. I like the numbers really start shape shape your thinking and steer your your investment perspective. Connor, it's similar. I, I think. Bring fun back, enjoyment, stop being so serious. Paul Feldwick has it in, in his book where, you know, when they were doing TV advertising first, it was like you're you're entering someone's living room, so be a good guest. Like be engaging, be enjoyable, you know, have mm. people want you to come back. So we got to think about that with all of our marketing, right? It doesn't matter where it shows up. Agreed. We want people to go, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing that again. I wouldn't mind whatever. So I think stop being so serious. We, yeah, look, there's... We should drive revenue and growth and all that. But I think we can have fun, have enjoyment and just continue to be curious. Like yeah. that's this group mm -hmm. of people is all about, you know, curiosity. And I think in marketing, like it's a key thing for us to be curious, read, you know, 100%. think about, you know, other things that you, different perspectives, find people who disagree with you and, and debate things out. So that, they're for me, kind of the big things for next year. For me, I, I feel like, this is kind of a cheeky way of saying it, but like the customer will come first. And it, but I, with that, I put an asterisk that change happens slowly than all at once. So here's a bunch of buzzwords. But what I mean by that is <laughs> two for two. Let's go. Yeah. But what I mean by that is the idea that like internally within organizations, marketers are going to start to realize things like there's the report from. Um, Gartner on like customers don't care. They want rep free experiences. And so brands are seeing that kind of stuff. Companies are seeing that kind of stuff and starting to go, Oh, okay. Well, you want a rep free experience. Maybe we don't need a sales team and a marketing team and a customer implementation team. Maybe we need to kind of work together to deliver that. Maybe we need to share our insights with 
the product development team. Maybe, you know, there's all these like small changes that I think are going to happen where we're going to start to see the customer through the customer's eyes. And there's a line from Peter Drucker way back when uh, marketing is about making a product so and selling so superfluous, superfluous, <laughs> whatever that word is, that it, the product sells itself. <laughs> and I think if we get out of our own way and out of our own like yeah. vertical silos within an organization, it's when you do that, that, that becomes possible. Mm-hmm. But when we're all like holding on to something because it's our territory, it's our land within an organization, I think it creates more division. And so I, I feel like marketing might actually take a step forward in terms of it being a more holistic view. And I don't necessarily mean to call it marketing in terms of like the marketing department. I just mean customer understanding Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and company working together to row in the same direction rather than, you know, everyone trying to fight for their own land. Connor, that's how you take it home. That's how you bring it home. This has been (laughs) one of the funnest podcasts I have done in a long time. Sorry, Mark. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Aside from what he said, the rest of this has been great. (laughs) No, this has been great, everyone. Um, It's really refreshing. And I think uh, taking that time to kind of look back on a year it's been uh, for our discipline, I think is always, always good. And doing it with fellow practitioners and uh, podcasters, always always, uh, a lot of fun. We'll probably have to do a, a 2024 version of this as well. Bring the group back. Bring this Definitely. back again, again. I think this was this was a lot of fun. We can wish everyone merry, a very merry Christmas, happy holidays. Thanks, guys. Right, everyone. Everyone. Really Brilliant. fun. Thanks so much. I'd like to take a second and just ask to see if you could leave a review. We're always looking for ways to make this show better, and really love your feedback.